so this is this is coming out uh, this Thursday, right, guys? Like, I know in the world of podcasts, it doesn't make no difference. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, okay, this Thursday could be this Thursday three years from now, but this Thursday, I will actually have my first wrestling match what? since March for Black Label Pro. Uh, I'm excited to get in a car and travel to a wrestling event. Although I will be packing a mask and rubber gloves yeah. because part of my uh, booking arrangement with my booking fee, I was like, because I just normally negotiate a gimmick table for high spots and myself. And all of a sudden I realized, I don't know if the gimmick, like as the virtual gimmick table guy, I don't know if real gimmick tables are a thing anymore. So <laughs> nah, I'm, I have to get a COVID test. I have to buy some rubber gloves and I'm going to get a whole bunch of hand sanitizer. So I, I don't know how like the interaction of, of people like, and that's, that's so weird is that a guy who's worked for highspots.com and, made a living off selling my wares at a merch table in this world of social distancing and sanitizing everything. I don't know how that's going to work. Like, I feel like I'd have to put hand sanitizers on Matt Hardy comic art pieces. Like, <laughs> I don't know how signing a picture is going to go down. Like, I feel like I have to sign the picture, put it in a plastic top loader and then hand it to the person. I'm trying not to have anxiety about it and just focus on the match because I'm just going to get in there and wrestle without a mask on and it doesn't make a difference anyways with the four line wrestling that live in different geographic locations of the country. But, you know, I'm worried about how I'm going to interact with somebody at a merch table. <laughs> That's the real worry. Do you yeah. know the capacity for the show? Do you know how many people? It is limited. I know that much yeah. that they, 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 we are taking as many precautions as possible. I'm actually bringing a brand new canvas, so there'll be no like lingering germs or anything. I'm bringing a brand new turnbuckle pads as yeah. well. So, uh, you know, thank you to Mikey from Black Label Pro for buying that from HighSpots.com, and also thank you Conrad Thompson because I know I know Conrad Thompson, big listener of Ten Bell Pod. <laughs> <laughs> he he records like six podcasts a week, and he still takes the time out of his busy schedule to listen to Ten Bell Pod. Thank you so much, Conrad, for listening thank this you. week, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, he actually contributed to paying for the canvas and the turnbuckle pads. So oh, nice. It, it all, it, the whole community of professional wrestling kind of pulling together and actually getting That's out awesome. and meeting and interacting with people. And so if you guys this Saturday have IWTV, you can watch me on black label pro be in a four way match with, I believe it's Dan, the dad, uh, Cabana man, Dam, And of course, Colin Delaney. So It'll be interesting nice. how I don't I don't exact I know Dan the Dad and I that makes sense Cabana Man Dam I think is only there because they couldn't get the real Cole Cabana uh, <laughs> and, and then Colin Delaney I think I know why he's there I don't know yet so it'll be interesting it's gonna be fun can you hit him with a location and a date and a time oh yes August twenty second I believe it is four or five o'clock it's on IWTV Black Label Pro. This Saturday, if you're listening to this in a timely fashion, August 22nd. Nice. So I guess August 22nd also, this episode, this is fun. We almost never uh, do it the week of because it, it it's hard on me. But shit, welcome to Tim Bell Pod. My name's Nick. I am joined by Michael Loving. Hey, and by the time you hear this also, uh, Daniel Cormier will it uh, knocked out Stipe Miocic in the fourth round to win their trilogy. So that's interesting. And also, just throw a R.I.P. Kamala out there. That's that's yeah. what I'm going to end on. We are also joined by Blame It All on My Troop that I showed up in boots and ruined your campsite affair. The mascot Jake Maddie, everyone. 
why don't we start with that and just talk about Garth Brooks? Because I guarantee you listen to Garth <laughs> oh, Brooks while okay. I'm driving to Black Label Pro this Saturday, August 22nd, available on IWTV. You know, I just found out that uh, Garth Brooks was a big gay rights activist and even spoke nice. out uh, even in the early 90s. He was the man. Also, too, like he—he's very weird on social media. Let's not, let's not look past <laughs> the fact that he, his. If you listen, if you see any video of him online, it is the weirdest, creepiest shit you'll ever fucking see in your life. He doesn't—he doesn't know how to talk into a camera. Like he just doesn't. Huh? Possibly a wrestling fan because he's all into the gimmicks with the with the Chris Gaines thing. Remember that? That's that true. was like that yeah. was like his that was like Garth Brooks Crow Sting or something. Yeah, nice. that was his Eminem to his Marshall Mathers. Yeah. Well, we're not talking about Garth Brooks today. May he live on for eternity. Uh, today, we're oh. talking about Umaga. What do, you, what do you guys think about Umaga? Any 350-pound man who can do a nip-up, pretty fucking cool. <laughs> as, I, as I said uh, before we got a microphone, this one's going to be a little tough, and I'm going to try to be as fair as possible. <laughs> Just because I know that some people really, really liked Umaga and considered him a friend. But as you'll probably see later on as we discuss throughout, um, me being the guy who's usually at the bottom of the totem pole, um, my my rule is always like, if you can treat someone like me well, you're a good person. Some people do a good job of treating people that are in a higher position or an equal position and then treat people like me like shit, like uh, Nick's favorite wrestler, AJ Styles. So uh, (laughs) uh, he kind of falls in that same category. So I'm going to try to be as fair to him as possible because... I had a few interactions with him that weren't great, but at the same time, too, I think a lot of people have had some very good interactions with him, and I'm going to be as fair as possible. So in advance, I apologize, but once you hear my story, I think you will. You may be on my side, as you guys always are, especially you, Conrad Thompson. Thank you so much for listening again, <laughs> buddy. Give you another shout out. I'll throw this out here real quick. Most beautiful Samoan drop in the business. It is so good. And you got to point out the pop-up Samoan drop is one of the coolest fucking moves. I mean, he would hit it so good every time. Well, also, too, with him, he had one of the best action figures. Like, his debuting Umaga action <laughs> figure. There's a few figures got their first in the line that were the hottest. And it was CM Punk's first action figure. That was one of the hottest. There was a Hornswoggle figure that hmm. was much smaller than all the rest obviously it was too scale compared to all the rest of them so like just the packaging alone was great and then also to umaga's action figure these are all ruthless aggression series too i should say except cm punks was the ecw version of that because they had the nice yellow and black uh gear with it as well oh yeah i remember that yeah but uh umaga's action figure sold extremely extremely well so i'm sure there's quite a, a good market for it out there Let's just get into it. Edward Smith Fatu was born March 28th, 1973 in America, Samoa. And does anybody really want to know that Andrew Whittall, a semi-famous cricketer from Zimbabwe, was also born on this day? Because that's really all I got. So (laughs) moving on, Nick. Fatu was part of that legendary Anawahi family. His uncles were Afa and Sika, the wild Samoans. Eddie was is was is the uh, uncle of the Usos, and he's also the cousin of Yokozuna, The Rock, Rosie, and Roman Reigns. Yeah, and I think uh, two of my cousins are in prison for robbing a bank. That's all I got in my family. Are you, are you serious right now? Yeah, that's that's as fast and furious as my family gets. 
Oh, I like that Fast and Furious reference when you're talking about The Rock. You just kind of yeah. wrap that in there. That's, that's beautiful. Because it is all about family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fatu trained with his cousin Matt Anawahi at the Wild Samoans Wrestling School. And by 95, he was done training and he debuted in his uncle Afa's promotion, World Extreme Wrestling. Otherwise known as WXW, uh, which Alpha was always a huge, huge supporter of female wrestling. Like he nice. would always have like an all female tournament and let some of these girls stay at his house because at the time he was doing these these female shows and female tournaments, a lot of these girls, like if you were a good female wrestler, the nearest good female wrestler to you geographically was six hours away. So like I know girls that that were really good that lived in Minneapolis. And she'd be like, hey, I know there's this other really good girl who lives in Kansas City. Let's see if we can get booked in a show in Illinois. Wow. That was kind of the way it worked. So when Afa started having this big female tournament and figured out who, like, some of the hot indie girls were, he'd, like, open the door to him, like, hey, you can stay at my house. We're going to do this big tournament. You're going to get paid fairly decently. And he was doing this in the early 2000s while they were doing bra and panties matches and putting matches on Raw. But he's like, nah, I want these girls to come in and just have badass matches. A lot of women, like, I believe, April Hunter, uh, Mercedes Martinez, a, a lot of very early indie women, the opportunity. Even I think even Sarah Del Rey was one of those women that got the opportunity at just being respected female athletes. And, and Afa was opening his doors and doing that before everybody else's. So I just want to give off a little nod at being, being on the right side of history. <laughs> That's cool. So there's kind of a gap in Umaga's history here, but presumably he was hustling around the Indies after getting trained. But uh, in 99, he landed a job in Japan's Frontier Martial Arts, wrestling with his cousin Matt. And Matt's going to kind of hang out with Eddie at the beginning of his career. They would start a tag team in FMW called Armageddon, going by Armageddon 1, Armageddon 2, before they'd make (laughs) the name change to the Samoans. And, I mean, this is FMW. He's taking on Masada Tanaka, Hayabusa, having tons of tag matches. Mr. Ganasoke. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I guess we got to plug our Hayabusa episode. If you haven't listened to that, go fucking listen to that. And our Onita episode, which is going to happen probably in the next hundred years, because that man will <laughs> never die, ever, and he will always look he- like he's 20 years old. So, <laughs> Facts. In 2001, Fatu, along with his cousin Matt, got signed to a developmental deal with the WWF, and they would become the Island Boys, with Eddie becoming ECMO Fatu. They cut their teeth in Heartland Wrestling Association, as well as Memphis while doing the occasional dark match or house show. If you want to see some early footage of them as the Island Boys, there is a WXW match. I think it's around this time. Them versus the Backseat Boys, who we recently covered Trent Acid, but you get to see uh, ECMO do a top rope splash, hitting Trent Acid and Johnny Cashmere, and just burying the shit out of them. But it's it's kind of fun to see them tangle up. Yeah, kind of lost in the history is that Memphis developmental territory, they call it like Power Pro. Like you had, obviously, the Island Boys, three-minute warning, as they will soon become, as we'll soon discuss. You had the Haas brothers. You had Brian Kendrick. You had Brian Danielson. You had Ron Killings. You had Tracy Smother there as a trainer, but working in the ring that night. Jason Arndt, Reckless Youth. I mean, you had just a tremendous amount of talent that's just wrestling in front of armories all over Tennessee. I think Victoria was even in in the mix there, too. These are a good picture of all those people kind of there. 
or, or most of them, at least a big group picture of all of them looking just so young. And eventually a lot of these guys will be the ones that filter into the ruthless aggression era and be with WWE for, for gears and still be wrestling decades past it it's just it's it's kind of an interesting piece of history that will always get lost i mean i liked it when the network stepped back and acknowledged fcw is kind of an important thing to get to nxt but i think there there could be something done for that power pro memphis area but there there's a lot of issues with it i mean even regal was there i believe as a trainer but it, it seemed like a very very weird place a lot of Things are lost to history of it, but it's it, it fascinates me because it's so eclectic and unique in the history of the developmental process of the WWE. Both cousins would get called up to the main roster July of 2002, with Eddie getting renamed Jamal and Matt getting renamed Rosie and the team getting renamed Three Minute Warning. They were the hired enforcers of Eric Bischoff where he gave people three minutes, and if they didn't entertain them, he would put them in the NWO, then take them out of the NWO, but then maybe they were still in the NWO. By the time you figured it all out, the company was out of business. Somebody just uploaded about a five-minute full compilation on YouTube, just a three-minute warning and all their massive ass-kickings. And just, man, the high-impact moves they would hit in that short span of when they would go in there and destroy people, was it was always just exciting as hell because it almost looked like Oh man, these guys are shooting in there. They're just legitimately beating the shit out of people. Because they were. That's probably <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And also, too, there's kind of like, there's always been, there's not so much anymore. There's always kind of been that tag team that you kind of need to be heaters. Like the, the Acolytes, like the yeah. APA, like the, the, there's that, but they were not quite used in the same capacity. Obviously, it's three minute warning. Three minute warning is used very similarly to what the Road Warriors were back in the day. There was always this thing, especially in the Crockett territory when the Road Warriors were there, like, this is before headsets and obviously all that, but you'd have somebody like, you know, Gene Anderson, when he would, he, when he would bite the pencil, that let, you, let referee know to let him know to take it home. And if they didn't, <laughs> oh, cool. and if they didn't take it home in, in enough time, they'd get one more warning. And if they didn't, they would then play Iron Man and they would send out the Road Warriors. <laughs> That's basically like if you went super over in your time, so they'd be like, hit Iron Man. And then they would just send the Road Warriors to the ring and have them beat the shit out of them. Even though they're going to come back in the main event, they'd be like, nope, these guys are over on their time. Fuck them. Send the Road Warriors. <laughs> and then even too, in Ring of Honor, they had a Dark City Fight Club, which is Don oh, John yeah. Davis and uh, Rain Man. Sometimes just... If you had like like a dark match, you got guys that set up the ring and it wasn't going all that great, they'd send Dark City. Like, all right, well, I mean, this is not going great as opposed to this thing getting to occlusion. We'll just send Dark City in, beat the fuck out of him. It's like, hey, guys, sorry it didn't work out for you. The crowd's dying. We need him up. We just did this. So that's very much what three-minute warning is. It's probably humiliating when you have that happen to you. But, I mean, it's good to have that, just to kind of have that constant fear. Like, if you fuck up, like, this could happen. And it is embarrassing when that does happen. Uh, it's cool for the fans, I guess as a booker, it's nice to have that tool. They're like, hey guys, if you fuck up, we're going to send Dark City. Which I just assume is the same way that uh, Paul Heyman, after his fourth line of blow, would just send in 911. Right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be the same. Like, there's always that night, like, and three minute warning was definitely that. You know, like I said, it's that's not great. So, like, so I don't see that a lot so much in wrestling culture right, so much anymore. Nobody's like, hey, send Nick Gage. <laughs> like, nobody's, <laughs> nobody's doing that. <laughs> 
Although that'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> but but of course, here's the thing. Nick Gage is such a nice human being. He would go out there and be like, sorry, bro. Gotta do it. Like, <laughs> no, <man. laughs> like, he's too nice of a person. I just realized I called 911-911. But, you know, I think that <laughs> Same works. difference. So they made their official debut July 22nd. 02 on Raw, D'Lo Brown and Sean Stasiak were having a match. Bischoff gave him three minutes, didn't impress him, so out come the big guys. Hit that amazing pop-up Samoan drop. Rosie hits a Vader bomb, and we have two shiny new hills in town. And Bischoff's being totally unfair. It's only like two minutes and 20 seconds. It's it's just just, uh, bullshit. Y'all ready to get immediately problematic as fuck? Yeah! Bischoff used the team to break up Billy and Chuck's union ceremony? Commitment ceremony, I think is what they called it. I don't know. <sighs> yeah, this is so weird. And then, like, <laughs> then they just kind of like came out and just like, oh yeah, well, we're not gay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But we're going to do like all Ace and Gary, like ambiguously gay stunts up until this. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, it's all a publicity stunt. And then like back away from it. And from what I've heard in every interview from Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn's like, oh, no, I was all ready to just commit to this and say, yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> and like, he was like, yep. he was about ready to do everything up until like actual have actual penetration with Chuck Palumbo <laughs> on television. Like, he's like, no, let's let's represent the gay community. But at the same time, too, then you're dealing with the sense of like taking straight people to play gay people when you could just yeah. let gay people be gay people. And that's that's an even another problematic thing. We just got past that even recently on WWE television recently when you have clearly somebody who is LBGTQ and you are not recognizing and using a storyline of that properly and respectfully. And it's just it's not that fucking hard. It's not that hard. Then we got the Godfather coming out trying some conversion therapy with the hose. It's oh, it's no. all very bizarre. And then Bischoff's in his special effects makeup looking like Dan Aykroyd in Nothing But Trouble. The whole thing is just a fucking amazing disaster. Oh, but it gets worse. So as part of uh, this attack during the ceremony, they also hit Miss Stephanie McMahon. And this leads to a big old angle and match at uh, 2002's Unforgiven. Three-minute warning would also get Billy and Chuck's weasel turncoat manager, Rico, their first televised match as a tag team. And you know what? Just talking about the actual match, holy shit, I did not expect it to be this fun. It was a fun match. It really is. A tag match with Billy Gunn that's awesome? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. (laughs) He's the fucking best. Like, that's the thing that's incredible about the AEW stuff and you have all the wrestlers around the ring, you have Billy Gunn like out there cheering you on. Billy Gunn's career is him standing on the apron cheering somebody on. Of course it's fantastic. (laughs) And then I think somebody was talking about, oh gosh, who we have in recently from AEW. I think it might have been Adam Page. He was talking about when you're wrestling on Dynamite that you could always hear Austin Gunn like cheering you on. And I was like, no shit. His father was the best at standing on the outside and cheering <laughs> somebody on. Of course he's going to have the same genetic material to be the best fucking cheerleader for a wrestling match ever, of course. So once Austin Gunn gets big enough, he finds the right partner. He's going to be one of the best hot tag men of all time. And I stand by that firmly. Billy Gunn is one of the best guys to work in apron and one of the best hot tag men ever. Speaking of Billy, he hits a fucking amazing Famouser in this. Yeah, it looks so cool. It's man. like it's like on the level of RKO out of nowhere, Famouser, like out of just dropping out of the ceiling. It's it's insane. 
the big guys, the Samoans, get the win here. And per stipulation of this match, Stephanie has to participate in, and I quote, hot lesbian action. <laughs> I was hoping we were sk- we skipped over this, and then I remember like, no, that was the stip of this fucking match. Forgot. Yeah, but it was the whole way they did it, because they would keep talking about HLA, and I was like, HLA? I don't remember any of this. And then they finally busted out, and I was like, oh, God, yeah. Because cause even, like, three-minute warning, like, beat the crap out of, like, women that were supposed to do HLA on, on Raw and destroyed them and just... I know we skipped over that, but since you brought it up, it's seared my memory. Like, even as a horny 19, 20-year-old male, I even felt uncomfortable with this. I'm like, really? Like, I don't, I'm not watching wrestling for porn. You know what I'm saying? No, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'll I'll look for some pictures for Trish Stratus online. Like, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll dig deep. I'll do that. But that's outside of wrestling. When I see her, Trish Stratus, on television in a wrestling ring, I want to see her at wrestle. I want to see her have a badass match. And that's what I want to see when I see wrestling. I want to see a badass match. If I want to see porn, I'll go watch porn. That's just, that's, I don't know why. <sighs> you don't like sex with your violence, Jake? I mean, when I'm watching porn, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll watch it oh, then. But not, okay, oh, okay, I, okay, okay. Wrestling is, this conversation will, will, will delineate <laughs> into something far different. I just think the sanctity of professional wrestling. I'm going to go, I, I consider myself Christian, but at the same time too, I consider wrestling to be my religion. And I just, I, I hate it when it is sullied. I hate it when it is ugh, just sullied and, and bastardized <laughs> and just, and, and corrupted. That's, I believe that's kind of the word. Is it just like, it's going to have a match, man. And it, I'm not asking for everybody to work a hold and do it old schools. I mean, you could have a good three minute match. You could have a good 12 minute match. Somebody can go out there for 45 minutes too and work a hold or whatever. It could be different things. It could be a four ways, multi-man matches, car crashes, uh, technical matches. It makes no difference. Just give me fucking wrestling. Uh, from male, female, or whoever. That's that's what I want. Let's just give me fucking wrestling on wrestling. Sorry, my name is Jim Ross. Should I make a reference about Bonanza right now? I don't know. Well, this would lead to quite possibly one of the worst segments in WWE history, which is saying no. oh a lot. Uh, Bischoff brings out two hot models to do some hot lesbian action, but last second they stop because Bischoff wants some ULA ugly lesbian action uh-huh. the ugly lady they sent out is rikishi in pseudo blackface and he attacks bischoff and at the end of the day we get no lesbian actions in la if you will which are my initials my mom did name me after this angle that's awesome and uh nick she has a name her name was hildegard so please <laughs> give respect following this jamal would enter his first ever royal rumble in january 2003 coming down at 21 and lasted 16 minutes he gets a a stink face from his real life brother rikishi and uh the big man eliminates zero people before monster energy drink decal undertaker eliminates him jamal crashes to the outside where he bumps into someone who was also just tossed out by the lead singer of the band hinder undertaker John Cena, foreshadowing. Following the Rumble, the team would start losing on TV, picking up the occasional win on Sunday Night Heat, but they're kind of getting 
de-pushed here because uh, specifically Eddie was in hot water backstage. Mr. Fatu was getting the reputation for being too stiff in the ring. He was hurting people. On top of that, Eddie was reportedly in a bar fight. So after about 11 months in the WWF, he was fired, leaving Rosie and the company to fend all for himself. One match you should definitely check out. It's kind of one of the best squashes I've seen in forever. You get three-minute warning Enrico versus only Spike Dudley. Oh, God. It's, yeah, it's 2-17-2003, and poor Spike, I mean, you know, in ECW, he let Mike Awesome and Bigelow pretty much murder him, and it comes pretty close to it in this match, too. I'd recommend watching that if you just are a sadist and you enjoy people getting thrown to the wolves. And I forgot to bring this one up, but also go back and watch the Survivor Series 2002 match they had with the Dudleys. It's an elimination tables match. It feels like old school ECW, crazy spots galore. It's fun as fuck. Definitely watch that. On uh, September 24th, 03, Eddie debuted in TNA under the ring name Ekmo Fatu. And this is back in TNA's weekly pay-per-view days, but he's taken on Sharkboy. Mad Mikey, a.k.a. Crash Holly, who we just did. He'd run into Ron Killings and even CM Punk. More foreshadowing. There's an Alex Shelley match and there's a America's Most Wanted match you can find. I think they're on YouTube. But one thing, I, every promotion that Eddie Fatu was in, he had no problem taking a chair shot straight to the fucking dome, <laughs> totally unprotected. Over and over and over, he takes a punch in TNA, and uh, Abyss hits him with one that I'm pretty sure immediately gave him CTE. It's hard to watch at times, but it's also exciting. So by November 03, Fatu was back in Japan, this time with All Japan going by Jamal. He'd immediately hop into the Real World Tag League tournament, teaming up with Justin Credible. And obviously we all know him as Umaga. That's the title of this episode. But All Japan, he spent a huge chunk of his career there. I mean, he had over 140 matches November 2003 to September 2005. I mean, when I was doing all my research, that was the thing that stood out to me. When I kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling through this, I was like, shit, this was like the bulk, man. And unfortunately, this time of all Japan is is as it's going down yeah. very slowly. Yeah. This is obviously you know post the the passing of of Giant Baba himself. It's it's mostly Mrs. Baba, and I think I don't know exactly who's calling the shots this time. I think Quada may be involved, but he's far yeah. more interested in being an in ring performer. Stan Hansen maybe maybe a little bit more involved, but also it's like a weird time in Japan too. Like New Japan's incorporating more shoot style stuff and MMA fighters and kind of doing less pro wrestling stuff and being less of a spectacle and, be, and being more concerned with being more real. And then also, too, you're having like the weird thing of like someone like Muda coming over as Kenji Emoto and he's coming in. Who's, he's primarily known as a New Japan guy. He's still working for New Japan, but then he's coming over winning the Triple Crown in All Japan. <laughs> and then it's like this like it's All Japan working with New Japan and like it's very weird climate and things going on. And then even some of the, the Americans that they brought in, it was it was kind of like they, they were good and great, but they didn't know quite what to do with them. And some of them were a little bit past the prime. Like, no offense to Dr. Death, but I think they were bringing him over at this time. They are bringing Mike Rotunda over. Guys that obviously they brought over and did well with this time. And they're wonderful, but like finding those newer talent, I think that's what they're trying to get. 
when they brought over Jamal. They brought over D'Lo Brown, and he was incredible over there. Like yeah. some of D'Lo's ultra pin stuff, go fucking seek that shit out. It's incredible. He was unbelievable. And anytime like you saw D'Lo post his all Japan run, like it was pretty fucking incredible but you had someone like Tai Okea and you know what to do I know I'm rambling right now all Japan was fucking weird this time because <laughs> <laughs> Kabashi Masawa and like Akiyama they left to make Noah right and it kind of pretty much crippled him yeah pretty much when Noah popped up and Noah was kind of the hot promotion of the time like what you yeah. see now with wrestling over there that's what Noah was doing at the time and Noah would still be a bigger thing if, if it wasn't for Masawa's passing as well so yeah, like yeah once once you lost Kobashi and Masawa and Akira Tawe, I believe it's Tawa, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, I think Vader was over there. Two Cold Scorpio was over there. You had all these really great super juniors. Like, all Japan was just kind of left with just Kawada. So that's why they had to team up with New Japan. And New Japan was like, yeah, sure, you know, we could have some more guys because Noah's going to fuck up our business, too. Yeah, I think my favorite uh, weird trivia bit of uh, looking up All Japan stuff is that Eddie would normally uh, wrestle in either a number 32 Shaquille O'Neal or a number 3 Dwayne Wade Miami Heat jersey every time. Jake, what is the pro wrestling equivalent of missing a free throw? If Shaq was a wrestler and he was constantly missing free throws, what would that be in pro wrestling? Like taking an awkward looking like backdrop. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Or an oddly timed, like, hip toss, like, kind of missing that a little bit. Not, like, in a <laughs> yeah, we were thinking arm drags. Yeah, yeah, well, like, you're getting the turn to the side arm drag, which I fucking hate, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to the end-over-end type fucking arm drag. Yeah, that'd be, like, taking the arm drag to the side. I've seen guys do that, and I fucking yell at students uh, when they do that kind of side twist arm drag right, thing. Uh... And, I, and I told them, like, if you ever do that in my fucking class, because we're supposed to be known for having great <laughs> arm drags at this school, you go ahead, you take your boots off, and you leave, because you're done training for the day. I guess with the decline of All Japan, their kind of marketing and, and exposure was down, because like, I'm sure this is all buried in the annals of high spots, but a lot of this All Japan stuff is hard to find. So a big chunk of uh, Eddie Fatu's career that's just somewhere, but not easily Googleable. Well, see, so here's here's the issue with that is because that product isn't so hot. Tape traders aren't going like, "Hey, can you get me some right. of that?" Yeah. That's why you see a lot of these clips online is because there were so many copies of it out. Because like, oh, you got to give me that Super J Cup '94. Like that tape's getting passed around. Give me the right, best of Rey Mysterio. Right. That stuff's getting passed around. When it gets to a point of like, "Hey, do you want all Japan from 2004?" Nah, can you give me some Noah stuff? Yeah, I'll get yeah, I'll get you some Noah stuff because it is a little. It was a little difficult. It still was kind of in that tape trading era. And before everything was online and streaming and before YouTube and all of those things, it was definitely like a point of like, hey, I can only put so many things on this VHS tape. I can only put so many things on this DVD. I can only put so many of these physical medias into a manila envelope and mail to you from Japan because there's somebody over there recording it. And it's like, hey, is it worth my time to record all Japan? No, nah, I'm more worried to Noah. Okay, then I'll, I'll stop recording all Japan. I'll right. just send you Noah stuff. So that's that's basically why that happens. It's not so much that they weren't doing it or they stopped doing it or the exposure of there was different. It was more of the demand over here for the product. There's a Kawada match versus ECMO for the Triple Crown you can find on YouTube. And then the match that uh, him and Tayo Key win the tag titles, which apparently they were a fantastic tag team. But there's not much footage, like Jake just said. Taokeo, uh one of the few high spot shooter interviews we never released. Oh, Whoa. is there a story There's with a that? A lot of story there. It 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 was awful. 
apparently. It was just bad? It was not just interesting bad? Not, it was, yeah, it was just he wouldn't talk. He was nervous. He was drinking water all the time and shaking. <laughs> all, Michael, oh, all, all Michael could get out of him was one story about Baba uh, dude. hitting people away from the All Japan talent bus with an umbrella. That's the only <laughs> thing that you got out of him that was halfway interesting. Michael's was like, I can't release this shit. Oh. So Jamal left All Japan in uh, December of 05 because he was going back to the WWE. Fatu returned on the April 3rd, 2006 episode of Raw with a new character called Umaga, a savage Samoan warrior guy. And this is like a 1979 gimmick. Well, you got to keep in mind of the dinosaurs that are working for WWE at that time yeah. <laughs> and how they felt about female wrestling. So not too far of a stretch. Uh, and it's kind of weird because three minute warning was like, hey, we're Samoan, but we, you know, we were this guy. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. more modern and all that stuff. But then it also harkens back to speaking of problematic things, a Jamie Dundee shoot interview with iSpots.com where the topic of Samoa Joe came up. It's online, and Jamie Dundee is just like, Samoa Joe, what the fuck is that shit? I know about Samoans that fucking wrestle barefoot. They come off the top rope, give you a head by, get juice on you. That's a fucking Samoan. (laughs) (laughs) He basically cut that interview at the same time Umaga came out, and that was always the thing, too, that people are like, oh, why does fucking... The same thing that you brought up, like, why does Omaga have to be a savage, but so- Samoa Joe is over here? But then there were some people who were like, why can't Samoa Joe just be more like Umaga? <laughs> and then you even kind of saw him, like, like he started putting that face paint on, like he, like Samoa Joe tried to ride that line as well, as opposed to just being the guy in biker shorts It's a really great wrestler. Like, it's just, the, I remember, like, that dichotomy of Umaga and Samoa Joe, and people were like, well, you know, Umaga's making a lot more money over the other, other station, and Samoa Joe... You just being in your biker shorts ain't making any money with your kick pads. Like that was, that was something that people were saying fucking aloud. Like, no, we need you to be more of a savage. Don't be this really great fucking wrestler, Samoa Joe. Like people were wow. saying that to him, and like that was a discussion that was fucking had. And that, and then of course you see WWE and they're what they're doing compared to TNA, and like the data would lead you to be correct. Like, yeah, fucking uh, backwards thinking is correct because it's financially successful and. Yeah, so it's just fucking weird. So twas the night after WrestleMania 22, and uh, Ric Flair is cutting a promo out in Chicago when manager Armando Alejandro Estrada interrupts him. This was really Hazim Ali from Chicago, so I don't think the Cuban accent was uh, real. Omaga walks out looking just like Maui from Moana and beats up Ric Flair. What can I say except you're welcome, Jake? <laughs> We should have had Omaga like collect the debt from us. Like, <laughs> that's what we would have done. Hey, just like, hey, once you beat the shit, I'm telling hand him a bill for $42,000 so Jake Manning can actually cash his fucking paycheck. Omaga would meet Ric Flair at 2006's Backlash because if you want to get over as a credible hill, you got to fist fight a senior citizen. Despite this match being under four minutes, we get every Ric Flair spot in it. Thumb to an eye, two low blows, tree of woe, attempt at a figure four, and of course, some chops, but nothing would stop the big man, and he puts down Flair with an Ernie Lat thumb. Following this Ric Flair bit, Omaga started out an epic undefeated streak, and aside from crushing a few cans on Raw, 
He'd uh, get some credible wins over HBK, Jim Duggan, Kamala, RIP, Eugene, Triple H, leading up to his first big feud that would start at 2006's SummerSlam. So at SummerSlam, Vince and Shane McMahon were taking on The Generation X, uh, HBK and Triple H. Before the match, they send out like half the locker room to try and beat them down. But they, they fend them off. They have the actual match. Umaga comes down. He hits Sean. Uh, he gets in the ring. Samoan spikes, trips. But then Kane comes out and fights Umaga back to the back. Generation X goes on to win. But this would start the feud between two monsters, Kane and Umaga. They'd hop on the house show loops together before doing a Loser Leaves Raw match on the October 9th episode of Raw. And this has to be the lowest stakes Loser Leaves Town match ever. Like your career isn't over. Your run in the company isn't over. You're just going to go wrestle on TV a different night. (laughs) Sorry, kid. You're going to be blue instead of red now. (laughs) He hits a Superman Samoan spike in this one, which I think is the only one he ever hit because he had to bust out the Superman to kill Kane. And I can't remember which match I watched. But Umaga hits a great fucking shining wizard on Kane. If you can find that, it's pretty special. Clearly something he got from all Japan. Yeah, right? Those two worked well together. You think two big lumbering giants, you know, it's always a little awkward, but they had good matches, man. Yeah, the Unforgiven match is pretty solid. They got, I mean, he, he hits Samoan drops on Kane and they look good. I mean, yeah. they, if, that says a lot. Yeah, Kane, very, very underrated, I'd say. Like, the, the, But the thing is, with interesting about Kane that some people have an issue with, like, ah, oh, when Kane wrestled him, it was boring. Or, or, like, Kane, he has certain chemistry with certain people. And when he has chemistry with a certain person, it's incredible. It's fantastic. And then there's other times, it's like, oof, this is just like watching paint dry. Yeah. Like, yep. Like, he's definitely, even for his size, it's a good analogy. He's a home run hitter. He's a Cecil Fielder. You know, like, he's definitely a guy. <laughs> you, you, yeah, he could play the field, but really, the back end of his career and being a DH, that's where he's at. He's going to come up. He's going to hit you some home runs. He's going to do all right with He's going to be spectacular when he does. He's going to get you the hits you need. You probably need a pinch runner when he does get on base if it's a single. But... You know, definitely a guy you, you want on your squad because he's he's going to connect with that ball. He's probably going to get you some home runs. He's going to get you some doubles and triples. He's going to get you some RBIs for sure. To kick Kane off raw, Estrada hits him with this big block of wood. It kind of looks like a giant train whistle. Then he gets a Samoan spike, the three count, and Kane has to go to the other brand. Leaving Omega looking for a new challenger. Still not having been pinned, he would become the rightful number one contender to the WWE Championship held by none other than John Cena. But to get to John Cena, Umaga would first face one last obstacle. On December 4th, 2006's Raw, Umaga would stare down none other than the man scout, Jake Manning. Oh man, I still get goosebumps thinking (laughs) about watching this for the first time. You're watching it, how about living the fucking thing? Um... (laughs) All right, so this this is why you want to listen to this fucking episode. Sometimes we do people that we obviously have to do that I've never met before, but I have a fucking story, and this is the Umaga story. This was my first extra talent spot. And if you listen to the extra talented podcast I did with Zane Riley, which I still feel like exists somewhere out in the world. <laughs> and I think I've even mentioned one of the stories on here. This is where I saw Vince McMahon and Hardcore Holly have that interaction with the oh, big tie. That, yeah. I, that, that was this time. All right. Um, cool. <laughs> this is also the time where as extra talent, you want to be seen, but not heard. So I posted up right where everybody was coming in so I could say hello to everybody when they come in. So I get the handshakes out of the way. 
They see me, maybe a writer's trying to figure out like, oh, what should we do? We need somebody to do this tonight. And then when they walk through the door, there's this the bald looking guy that you've been looking for your entire life to, to do this spot. And th- this is where I like Triple H and Vince and Stephanie were all walking in together. And I'll never forget oh. Vince, Vince was like, good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing today? And like, <laughs> of course, this is all pre security is a bit more lax things are are chill you're allowed to hang out you're allowed to talk to people you're allowed to be down by ringside for like vince to go over stuff you you're just supposed to be ready in case like val venus wants to call you in the ring to teach dan rodemeyer how to do a hip toss or drop an elbow because they're basically hiring this guy who's seven foot tall and they're teaching him while he's on the road. Like, so like, <laughs> nice. uh, instead of just having him developmental working every night, they're like, Hey, we'll get him on the road. And then we'll have Valvinus basically run a training class with this guy. And they'll have extras get the shit beat out of him and take legit fucking moves from him. But speaking of legit moves. So it was me and team action, North Carolina, indie tag team yeah. sensations, Bobby Houston. It was nice. us and like a few other people. I think I saw Jack Swagger in there. Maybe he's Slater. Well, let me let me get to that for sure. That's that's an interesting story as well. We'll, we'll dovetail off that. So they are also getting developmental people there to, to do some of these extra spots, just get them on the road. Like that's what they'll do. They have developmental guys go on the road for two or three weeks just to kind of get acclimated with the locker room and get used to the guys. But they won't let those guys dressed in the main locker room they throw mm. those guys in the extras locker room <laughs> so i was in the extras locker room with if you remember jay bradley or bradley jay whatever he, brad bradley from iwa mid-south and jack swagger now jake Hager, uh in the inner circle now he was there and this is before he's he was ever on tv they were the two guys there and of course they're they're buddied up the whole time but you know jack swagger was super cool just like chill talk to us even though Clearly, there's money just dripping off of him. He's got that that Oklahoma wrestling background. He's yay tall. He's good looking. He can fucking wrestle. He's nothing but a fucking future in him. But he's just cool as shit with us extra guys. And, you know, we're just there. And, of course, they make the decision in the afternoon that, hey, we're going to have a big pull apart with Umaga and Cena. And, obviously, they had the two big guys. Jay Bradley, Bradley Jay, and Jack Swagger, and of course me, I'm kind of sizable, but then like Team Action and Bobby Houston were not, not necessarily on the bigger side, so like we need some more bigger guys, and I can't remember who else was doing extra talent, but like, hey, I know some bigger guys, than, like Brody Chase, who live in South Carolina, and some other guys, like, hey, I can get some guys here real soon, and I can tell them to get some black slacks, and they'd give us like black security shirts to run out with, and we had to pick up the black security shirts for magic which was basically their set designer magic the basically guy he can make an arena look like a restaurant it was basically nice. like that's what they called the magic and so i had to get the security shirts from him and get those tucked those in and then of course we all got to do a walkthrough on how this is all going to go down and this is this is like they did they, they would broke it down step by step by step like hey you guys gonna fight 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 and then they go out here then send security and then they would time us running out Damn. Like how many seconds does it take for us to run out? And then like, hey, even I think they even like broke down the order of <laughs> the, 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 like it was very detailed oriented. And so they got us all together. And I'll never forget. We were like all in the ring. It was like Umaga. I think Cena was off talking with Vince, working his way down because Cena had to do a lot of stuff because they were about ready to leave for tributes to tribute to the troops in a few days. So he was doing a lot of media appearances and Vince was doing some media stuff. 
And so like it was just Umaga and all his extras that are just basically going to do this pull apart. And basically the whole sense was that Maga is going to like knock all these people. And then like there's going to be this pull apart because they just did a whole thing where the whole locker room ran out. So they need as many guys as possible. So we had some more people on the way. So we're all just kind of standing there. This is like my first extra talent. We're all kind of like, you know, don't know how to do. We're just trying to be cool. And we've been trying to stay out of the way. We played it nice. And Umaga just like, he's just got his hands in his pocket, standing in the ring, looking at all of us. And he's just like, Hey, just want to let you guys know, I don't fucking pull any punches. I'm real. So just fucking deal with it. <laughs> oh, okay. Like basically just said like, hey man, I'm not going to fucking take care of you. I mean, I don't know exactly his exact words, but basically his point was, I don't give a fuck about you. If you get fucking hurt, I don't give a shit. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you say it to my face. <laughs> yeah, that's right. to, Yeah. That's supposed to me finding the fuck out. That's a little something. So I'm like, fuck, man. And it's like, all right, well, this is going to be what it's going to be. We got to do this pull apart. So, like, obviously, like, when we step through it, I'm just like, all right, well, I got to get to Cena. Like, I, I, hopefully Cena doesn't have this sane fucking mentality. <laughs> so in my thought process, when I run out, I'm going to try and find John Cena and, and stick close to him. And so, like, they're like, hey, it's going to get crazy. Just kind of keep your head on a swivel. Watch out. It's just we want it to look frantic. We want it to look disarray. We want it to look real. Right. So yeah. just like, hey, be careful. This is going to happen. Umaga is going to beat everybody up and just fucking deal with it. All right, cool. So we we all have to stand in gorilla when whatever match is going on, whatever happens or or whatever. And I'll never forget, like, I think Umaga was out first or something. Like, Umaga was already out there or he's going to show up later. But I remember all of us just kind of sitting out there. It's Raw's happening. And that's the first time I'm going to go out in front of an audience like like this, Monday Night Raw. I'm going to be on camera. This is fucking awesome. But at the same time, too, this guy's just said, I don't give a fuck about you. I don't <laughs> want to hurt you. And I'll never get John Cena just like before he went out. I think he it was, it was a match that he had. John Cena and uh, Chris Masters were doing a like master lock match. Okay. It was the challenge bullshit where Cena said he could break the master's lock. That old. Man. Okay. Yeah, but I remember before we went out, and Maga wasn't there, and John's just like, I'll see, like, some of us are nervous because of whatever the fuck Umaga said. And Cena just took the time to go, Hey guys, just have fun. And he was like cracking jokes too, like, just this weird <laughs> joke. Cool. He was clearly thinking about other stuff, but he's cracking jokes. And all of a sudden he goes, Hey guys, I just want to let you know, I'm not a real tough guy. Like, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm a TV tough guy, so take care of me out there. <laughs> and then his music hits, and he like a rock star. He's just ba, ba, like, ba, ba. yeah, pretty much. And he goes out, and he's like, ah, like he's a superhero. But he, like right before he went out, he had enough self awareness to look at all of us. He goes, hey guys, I just want to let you know, I'm not a tough guy. <laughs> I'm a TV tough guy. These are all show muscles. And then all of a sudden his music hit. And he goes, excuse me. And then. <laughs> Like, to have have the self-awareness like that just makes him, I see why everybody's ever talking about him, he's the coolest guy ever. So we go out there, we hit all of our cues exactly, I'm keeping my head on a fucking swivel, I'm trying to find John Cena as much as possible, but he's disappeared, and all I gotta do, and I'm standing there, whatever, so like, I gotta get on Umaga, so I'm jumping on Umaga, I'm getting knocked off, it's it's frantic, and and at one point in time, John Cena jumped off the commentator's table, which was not discussed. <laughs> like, oh, oh, the big match, John fucking called that shit on the fly. <laughs> None of us were expecting to catch a dive from the golden goose. So, like, <laughs> he fucking did that. And then it came to the point where Amaga started punching all of us and was supposed to leave us all laying, including eventual world heavyweight champion Jack Swagger. And he was just punching everybody. And I'll never forget, like, I was. it was almost like we're all supposed to feed in a line. I'm like, oh, 
fuck, I, I'm standing, so I'm going to have to fucking take one. Yeah. And I was like, ugh. And right in front of me, though, was TJ Mack. And I'll never forget this as long as I live, and I think you can clearly see it on TV. He takes a punch from Umaga. His head goes a good three feet away from his body. <laughs> like, I've never seen anybody's head get detached from their body and then snap back and then collapse. I saw that and I go, oh, fuck. TJ Mack is dead. Because <laughs> he's a smaller guy. I'm like, Umaga just shoot punched him and murdered him in front of me. Now I have to take a punch. <laughs> no, I'm going to die. So Umaga's rearing back. And it was all this is happening in slow motion. This is the, it's one of those things where your life flashes before your eyes <laughs> and everything kind of like pulls into focus. And as Amaga rears back and comes around, I notice he sticks out one of his fucking fingers. Ah! So, so it's not like a flush oh, knuckle, no, yeah. a flush knuckle. So he's sticking one out. And I've always heard yeah. the story about old timers. They do that when they want to get color hard way. Like Brett oh. Thomas got, got color hard way from Dr. Tom. And he basically stuck one of his fingers out to bust the guy open. So basically Umaga was trying to fucking bust me open. Jesus. Now at the same time too, this is all happening very fast. I might be seeing things, but I, from what I saw in this moment, from my, if I was to testify in a court of law, what I <laughs> saw was him trying to fucking stick his fucking knuckle out to fucking bust me open and to fucking hurt me and fuck me up for real. Which, by the way, I think is a legitimate thing to claim because the motherfucker said he didn't give a fuck about <laughs> me like two hours earlier. Yeah. Um, so it's like one of the only punches I've ever pre-bumped. That's where the fucking Satan fight or flight came in. And I fucking just got out, bumped out of the way and kind of turned myself just enough. There was contact enough or might not be. I don't know. I think they cut it anyways. Cause Kevin done anytime th somebody throws a punch, he fucking takes the wide angle, yeah. whatever. That's what they fucking do. They get your drop in the close-up. You fall down pretty good, just like falling like a sack of potatoes after the yeah, punch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I was because I was like, I'm not getting back up because I don't want that motherfucker to touch me. But it, luckily, I fucking watch out for my fucking self because he wasn't watching out for me. And then we get to the back, and it was what it was, and it was cool, and we did it. But at the same time, too, I just kind of always like I always remember that because he could have been cool, but like, hey, guys, things are gonna get a little crazy. This, this gimmick, I got to go f full out, so I, I'm going to apologize now. But he just basically said, no, this I don't give a fuck about you. You're probably going to get hurt. Like, that's how he fucking treated me. And I know I'm an extra. I know I'm a fucking nobody. But also, too, eventual world champion Jack Swagger was one of those people he fucking said that to. So, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people have had better memories of him. And I've had better stories with him, but that's my fucking Umaga story. And that's how he, that's how he fucking treated me. And as I've said before, if you are nice to me, the guy who is at the bottom of the totem pole, then you are probably a nice fucking person in wrestling because you never know. Once you leave here, I might be the guy who picks you up at the airport. Exactly. I might be the guy. I might be the guy who has to go get you food. So I may be the guy that drives you to the hotel. I may be the guy that you're wrestling. I may be the guy that you know, lets a family member in because you're here or whatever. Or kayfabe's your wife while you're talking to your girlfriend. Well, I may be that guy. So don't fuck with me. You know, I'm the, I'm the janitor from the breakfast club. <laughs> you see these keys? I can get in any room I fucking want. So just be fucking nice to me. That's the thing with that. And I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. I was going to go somewhere about this, about treating everybody properly because you just got, you got to watch out for people like that. We got all, we all got to look out for each other at the end of the day. Everybody's got their different places. So you don't have to give everybody the same amount of respect. I get that. I understand that, but you can still treat me like a fucking human being.
once Umaga was done taking out the man scout Jake Manning, it was spinner belts out for Harambe. Cena and Umaga's first big meeting would be at a pay-per-view called New Year's Revolution. I, I didn't remember that this was actually his first loss. And just a quick roll-up. I, I mean, I guess, I mean, Jake could speak on this, but I assume they get him in a quick roll-up so that he's, you know, kind of tricked into losing or taken by surprise rather than actually losing, losing, beaten down. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the psychology. It's like, here, this, this yeah. beast, and also, you're creating this fucking monster for the fucking Golden Goose. That's <laughs> yeah. like going, like, Classic. well... Well, I don't think it's right that Kamala lost to Hulk Hogan. Like, no, we brought Kamala in to fucking lose to Hulk yeah. Hogan. Like, that's that's how this shit works. And that's what they were doing with John Cena. The reason why Umaga exists is for this particular moment. Nobody can beat Umaga. I mean, Kane is basically Hacksaw Dick Duggan in this scenario. He's the setup man. He's right. setting it up. Former world champion, loses to Umaga, and then here we go. Can John Cena do it? Oh, it's a quick roll-up. Oh, no, there's more to it than that. The one, two, three doesn't matter. You know, like, it's, so it's a quick loss. It does, Umaga doesn't lose any steam. Yeah. yeah, sure, it's his first loss, but fucking, it was a loss that just kind of fucking happened. Like, it's a mistake. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna lose ones eventually. That's that's how this works and you know, and then of course it builds up to the next match, which we'll get into right now probably. I just wanna point out the real heat in this whole feud is uh Umaga cost John Cena a match against Kevin Federline, and yes, Kevin Federline has a a win over John Cena. I just felt that needed to get in the episode. Uh, oh and fuck that. Fuck Kevin Federline. <laughs> oh yeah? Yeah. Because he, he covered Cena nonchalantly and just put, like, an elbow mm -hmm. on him. No, fuck that. Cover <laughs> yeah. that. Some, no, don't, I don't know who, who the fucking producer was for that. They should be fucking fired. <laughs> but he, he hit him with the spinny belt, Jake. He's I don't out. Get, He's I, don't, I don't fucking give a shit. <laughs> Kevin, I don't, care, I don't care if you fucking shot John Cena. <laughs> you don't fucking, especially John Cena at this particular time. We're, we're trying to build fucking Superman, and you got fucking Kevin Federline just lay a fucking elbow on him and sit on him. Now. Kevin? And I'm like a regular fucking person. <laughs> you can fucking get up and do whatever pose you want, but goddamn pin, I'm like a regular fucking person. Like a regular fucking wrestler should. That That is top five. One of the things that fucking pisses me off about professional wrestling. Not just celebrity appearances. No, 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 no. no. This is top five things that should have never fucking happened in professional wrestling. And the <laughs> tragedy is on that top five as well. Like that, I incorporate good, that good. with uh, on that things that have never should have fucking happened. What <laughs> did and Kevin Federline pinning John Cena all in the top five, maybe even top three. I'm glad I brought that up. I'm really <laughs> glad I brought that up. Following this, manager Estrada would downplay it, saying it was a fluke, trying to goat him into another match at the Royal Rumble, which would end up being a last man standing match. And man, for a John Cena match, I know we aren't quite to the squeaky clean PG days quite yet, but this is a brutal fucking match in spots. This match is fucking great. This is big match John to the yeah, oomph to so fucking great. Green. This is probably a top 10 best John Cena matches like I remember watching this thing and just being like holy fucking shit and I just was like man WWE is fucking doing this match like this is at a point like I said pushing like we're this and we're sanitized and we're more like this but this right here this fucking match fuck yes inject this into my veins <laughs> like this is this is what fucking John Cena this is this right here the fact that John Cena can do this 
Then also wrestle Shawn Michaels for almost a fucking hour on Raw because Randy Orton fucked up a hotel room in Europe. <laughs> like that, <laughs> yeah. like he can do that. He can then also do the Firefly Funhouse match, which these are all case in points of three entirely different things that John Cena is able to do and achieve and be successful at. Like this right here, he can get down and fucking dirty if he wants to. He can have a fucking wrestling clinic with Shawn Michaels. Not the one at WrestleMania. That one's okay. But the one he had at Raw, that was incredible. Yeah, it's like and 45 minutes. Further fucking proof. They built Umaga just for this specific moment right fucking here. Dude, the spot where John Cena gets the metal ring steps and throws them from inside <laughs> the ring to the outside and smacks the fuck out of Umaga. He blocks them. And he gets his hands up good, but it's literally a true, oh shit, yeah. that could just crush his skull. Well, see, that's the thing that I just want to be as fair to Umaga as possible. He can give a fuck about me, but I would like to believe that he had enough respect for John and was like, hey, John, whatever the fuck you want to do to me, fucking yeah. bring it. Like, and made this match so good and, and sacrificed his body for someone like John. Like, I'm sure John could do an entire podcast on how awesome and amazing of a person Umaga is. I unfortunately am not that I'm not John Cena. So that's why I want to be as fair as possible because clearly Umaga was giving enough and giving enough to someone like John Cena. He was that to him, but obviously John Cena uh has a lot of people being nice to him. And <laughs> that is a good point. And and rightfully so. And if you're not nice to him, you're not gonna be in this company for very long. Just the color that uh, John gets in this when he blades. I mean, it's just it, the, the way it streams down his face, the visual. Oh, man, it's it's just fucking gorgeous. About 20 minutes into this match, it's clear that Umaga is too tough to go down and Cena has too much hustle, loyalty, and respect to go down. I don't, I don't know if the viewers at home can see the shirt. Hustle, loyalty, respect. Oh. <laughs> so uh, Estrada gets desperate. He takes off the top rope. Hands it to Umaga. Cena ends up with it and puts the rope around Umaga's neck, puts him into STF, <laughs> uh, and uh, he eventually chokes him out. He can't answer the 10 count, and this is a real loss for Umaga. Yep. Following the Cena feud, they'd uh, give him a couple matches to rebuild on. Uh, Umaga beat Val Venus. He beat Balls Mahoney. Before getting into this stupid goddamn bullshit that we have to fucking talk about. Now for WrestleMania 23. The Battle of the Billionaires. And, uh, well, one billionaire and one guy who managed to bankrupt a fucking casino. Just to go off on a tangent real quick. I get how people were, were duped by Trump. I get why he was like, I'll give you money, even though he only gave money to his rich friends. And if you were a coal miner in West Virginia, you're still poor. But I get how, I get how he tricked them. <laughs> I get that if you're a hate-filled bigot, you're like, well, this dude's a hate-filled bigot. I'll clearly vote for him. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> what doesn't make sense to me is how Vince McMahon looked at this water-damaged basketball with his gooey, draping meat flaps for a neck. Someone who on their best day is a fucking sleazebag. Someone who is a confirmed, documented, racist, rapist. How did Vince look at this guy and go, God damn it, pal. There's my baby face. What about <laughs> Donald Trump ever has read as good guy? Literally his entire life. Nothing. Hmm. You just, you got to drop dollars on the fans. 
so they'll cheer him. And then you got to put two sexy ladies on him. And for pro wrestling, I think that's all you need to become a baby face. I mean, it worked for Okada. <laughs> but here, uh, like we could, we could have an entire podcast about views about Trump. And we are. Now. <laughs> I, 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 I disagree with the man wholeheartedly. I, I, I won't use the, the strong language that Nick will because I feel like to people who are his supporters, that's like white noise to them and I don't get through them. There are certain things that his supporters will not fucking listen to. So if I'm going to talk to a supporter of theirs, my goal is to get you on my side, which is the same side, uh, because <laughs> you have gone off the deep end. That's how I feel about it. You, you have not, you've not, you're not seeing the the forest through the trees, and that that is that is my opinion on it. So if I come across somebody who's who is MAGA through and through, I. I try to talk with you rationally in the hopes that I could speak some reason and some common sense into you and then we could come <laughs> come closer to you. So I, I try to avoid rants like, like Nicholas uh, has just gone on, but I agree with 100% of what he says. Just to let you know, that's how I feel about it. But I will I will use my words differently in the hopes that I could bring somebody over at least to the middle. I, I may not be able to get I may not be able to get you to the left, but I will get you to at least the middle. But here is the thing about I will I will also posit about Trump and explain to why he was the baby face, because we are where we are right now. And you're like, how is he a baby face? And we look at it now. Let us not forget at one point in time, everybody loved O.J. Simpson. Like, let's just not forget that. <laughs> and, and when you see Naked Made in Gun, America, man, when, when, I, gun. I know it's on recently on our cable package. I'm like, oh, that's right. We loved O.J. Simpson. So there was a time where like. I think John Mulaney said it best is that Trump is basically what a homeless person thinks a risk person. Yeah. Is. Like that's basically yeah, exactly. what we all think is if success, even though if you delve into his details, that is incorrect. If you want to know my structured opinions and, and let's take all politics, everything that's happened over the last four years and, and even the couple leading up to it and everything that's happened, probably even the last decade, let's put everything to the side. Just watch the 30 for 30 on the USFL, and that will tell you everything oh, yeah, so good. you need to know about that man. <laughs> uh, if he's ever in a pinch, he will sell you down the river. He will not take responsibility for any of his actions. And when he is holding the highest office of the land, uh, that is very concerning. So that that is my always my go-to on explaining the issues with Trump is just watch the 30 for 30 on the USFL, and that tells you everything you fucking need to know about that man and how... He is not a good president. Well, before his weak leadership got 150,000 Americans killed and 28 million evicted from their homes here in a couple weeks, he first had to deal with Vince at WrestleMania 23. I would just like to point out, rewatching all this stuff, just I remember Vince being good leading up to this stuff, but God damn, he is so entertaining. It kind of blew me away. He's on a totally different level leading up in this angle. It's totally worth revisiting if you get bored. Also important to uh, point out that as Vince's representative, uh, Umaga got awarded a Intercontinental title shot at Jeff Hardy, which he won immediately the same night. And that is uh, Umaga's first gold in the Federation. So we got Stone Cold in this match uh, as the special guest referee, a man of, of little hair. We have uh, Bobby Lashley in this match, also a bald guy. Jake Manning as a guy who rocks the, uh, the the shiny dome on a regular basis. How do you feel about the stipulation of getting shaved bald being like the worst outcome ever? 
I know it's it's the weirdest fucking thing, but at the same time, too, we can say it's dumb, and everybody is talking about it being dumb. But once again, we have to rewind back, and we have to put everything aside with Trump when we discuss this. Like everything we know about Trump, every political cartoonist, every comedian, everybody does a parody of him. What is the first thing when they're putting it together, when they're drawing him, when they're trying to do an impersonation of him, when they're trying to do a cartoon of him? What is the first thing that they focus on when they're trying to put that together? You focus on the hair. Yeah. So obviously the hair is such a thing that obviously that is essentially the focus. And like seeing Vince McMahon lose a stipulation, which everybody I would say 100% of the people thought was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was, there was no way. There was no way. Like, we all know Vince McMahon is going to look like a fucking moron. Because if anything, <laughs> Vince McMahon revels in looking like a fucking moron than a fucking so genius. Good. He loves it. And everybody, and everybody kind of like, okay, well, we'll at least see Vince look like a fucking moron. Yeah. But if you t- were to take those two players out of the game and the stipulation between Dolph Ziggler and fucking Roman Reigns, and it's hair versus hair. Yeah. It, that that's a bit more like what the fuck man yeah. it's not that fucking bad you know and that's too like usually when they get to a point where it's hair versus hair the person's going bald anyways like having Shawn Michaels like seven years ago doing a hair versus hair match like yeah bro you probably should shave that <laughs> shit matter of fact you putting it in a ponytail has made it fucking worse so let's stop that oh well speaking of hair versus hair be sure to check out patreon.com slash timbopod for me and uh, Micah's little hair versus hair match Battle of the definitely not billionaires. (laughs) The actual match here, man, Umaga does a forward roll, like out of the ring spot. But you know (laughs) how normally you like support yourself on the apron as you tumble to the outside. He misses it and just fucking splats. Like it, it had to have like knocked the breath out of him. At least it sounded brutal. When you see it, you're like, yep, it's WrestleMania. They're just trying to kill themselves. Umaga starts fighting with Stone Cold a little bit. He hits him with a spike. We get Shane McMahon in this match who comes in secretly wearing a ref shirt. Fucking Shane McMahon hits a coast to coast wearing like business casual. That was pretty nuts. But uh, Stone Cold wakes up in time to uh, make sure Lashley gets a fair shake and the win. And then they shave Vince McMahon bald. Poor Vince. And also, too, we forgot to bring up the whole time how fucking Vince McMahon pronounced Umaga. the most over the fucking top like you hired a guy and made him a manager to say umaga (laughs) and he wasn't even a fucking fourth of what Vince McMahon was like they broke the rule on like yeah we're never gonna have managers ever again like nah umaga needs a manager we just need you to talk don't get me wrong Strada did a fantastic job. He was going against the Babe Ruth of fucking ridiculous vocalizations. At the same time, too, like, man, you couldn't even keep up with that. Like, just that, ooh, Like, they just, it, it sears in my head, and that's what I think of. I don't know. I mean, we got to bring up Regal. Umanga is pretty fucking good. <laughs> I thought it was a one-time fuck-up, but Regal said it every <laughs> single time. Uh, they call cookies biscuits and shit. It's chaos over there. Yeah, water closets, a toilet, uh, what the fuck? Boris Johnson and shit, who fucking knows? <laughs> Couple weeks after Mania, WWE did a Raw in Italy, April 16th, and uh, a still very bald Vince McMahon still had heat with uh, Bobby Lashley. He was also still palling around with Umaga, and they would do an open challenge for Umaga's Intercontinental Championship. They challenge everyone 
from the back to come out and fight. No one does. So they ask the crowd. Uh, I wish UFC did this. Imagine some dude in an affliction shirt just getting decapitated by oh, Anderson God. Silva. Uh, oh, God. I haven't paid money. <laughs> so much money. But a uh, young Italian lad by the name of Santino Morella steps into the ring and accepts the challenge. And this is his debut. Which, you know, Santino had a legit fighting background but he wanted to do more comedy and there are multiple times where they like we want to do something ethnic with you we're not for sure yet <laughs> but we're gonna like they had him one time they flew him in like typical wwe like hey we may want you to be russian mm. so come in and <laughs> be ready to be russian on monday night raw i think they might have been like calling like hey do you know russian and of course like a, a great fucking pro wrestler he said yes when he clearly didn't so he had to learn Russian on the flight to Monday Night Raw. And he's wow. like, oh, I'm going to be Russian on Monday Night Raw. And he gets them and like, yeah, we've changed our mind. Sorry, just hang out e-catering. <laughs> and then they flew him back. So then like they theoretically could have flown him to Italy. And like they were like, hey, can you give an Italian accent? Know some Italian. Can you do that? And they could have done that and then did what they did when they flew him in to be Russian and they're like, nah, we changed our mind. They just enjoy this wonderful cater we've got in Italy. You know, like that's what they could have done because they're a fucking company like that. They're just like, yeah, we want to do this. And they get this idea on Saturday and it's a wonderful idea. They make all the travel arrangements. And then Monday, like, mm, nah, we don't feel like it. Sorry. So that flight, that hotel, that per diem time, the fact that they were just on call and the fucker fuckery around mentally, like all of that fucking shit just, never fucking ceases to amaze me Santino is fighting with the MAGA kind of holding his own at first but Vince and Shane get involved this brings out Bobby Lashley who uh takes a chair from Vince and clocks Umaga hits him with a spear he puts Morella on top and Santino wins the Intercontinental Championship Jake just comedy guy to comedy guy how do you, how you feel about uh Santino you know what he was always super cool the only thing I remember so much about Santino is obviously he got hot real fast and he was kind of like a big deal and people were like really crazy for him and like he really got over like that really kind of proof that a comic guy can get over at a high level like that but i always remembered like the office never liking mm -hmm. him and like some of the old school guys like charlie haas and the guys that kind of like really you know worked hard and was always showing up and doing fucking 500 Hindu squats before working out in the ring, before going on Raw, before getting told all you got is a heat match for three minutes. Be like, just working hard, just trying to prove the office I want to be here. And like Santino would get there and they'd be like, hey, you want to get Santino, want to get in here and, and wrestle with some of these extras and stuff like that? And Santino's like, yeah, sure, let me go get changed. And then I wouldn't see him again until he was on TV. <laughs> like, he's just like, why the fuck am I doing this? I got my job. I'm on TV. Why don't I just focus on this? So, like, I kind of, like, you know, as a guy that was kind of like, oh, no, work hard and show me you want to work hard. But now that I'm a bit smarter, I'm like, no, that was the right call to do. Like, just disappear when they wanted you to do hard work. Everybody that's successful <laughs> does that. As soon as the hard work comes around, they all disappear and they do something that focuses on themselves. Well, continuing the Umaga, Vince, Bobby Lashley drama at uh, April 29th's Backlash, Umaga, Vince, and Shane McMahon wrestled Lashley for his ECW World Heavyweight Championship in a handicap match where Vince McMahon would get the pin and become the greatest ECW champion of all time. And I would just like to say that Vince in a do-rag, dark sweatshirt, black jeans, fingerless gloves while wearing the ECW title is the best Vince look <laughs> there is. Much like blue jeans, uh, British Bulldog, the best there <laughs> ever is. 
Umaga would continue with the feud going into Judgment Day, where the McMahons and Umaga would take on Lashley again for the ECW championship. This time, the king of extreme, Vince McMahon, is going to lose when Lashley kind of gets to jump on everyone. He uh, pins Shane in just over a minute, but afterwards, Vince gets on the mic and says, since Vince didn't get pinned, Lashley doesn't win the belt. Right. They take this into one night stand in a street fight with uh, Umaga trying to help out. But this time, Lashley again shakes off all the interference, hits a spear, and gets his ECW title back. In June, Umaga got back to his Santino Morella problem and the Intercontinental Championship. They met at Vengeance. Umaga was in control of the match, but he ended up getting himself DQ'd when he would not break the ref's five count and kept pumbling Morella. But following this match, we get a SummerSlam promo that promoted the show getting taken over by the guys from Jackass. And this led to an incident with Steve-O. The Jackass guys were in the ring and they were going to get beat up. But the issue they run into here is Umaga hit Steve-O with a splash. But Steve-O, obviously not a trained pro wrestler, uh, <laughs> he's still kind of wiggling around, moving. Uh, Umaga takes this as a huge disrespect to him and the business and lays in an elbow on Steve-O. Oh, and Steve-O gosh. says, I've been hitting the head enough to black out only a few times, and this is one of them. So uh, Umaga roughs up Steve-O here, and it's, it's uh, not the best situation. No, no, no. This is the best situation. <laughs> this is where I want to be fair to Omaga. He treated me like shit. He also treated me exactly the way that Steve-O should have been treated in this situation. Because <laughs> I remember seeing this fucking live, and Steve-O was fucking laughing. Oh, no. At Omaga. Okay. He was fucking laughing at him, like, after he was getting beat up, like, ha-ha, this is so funny. Ha-ha-ha, look, I'm getting beat up like a fake fucking wrestler. And Umaga doing the right goddamn fucking thing, let him know, like, oh, fake, fuck you, I will fucking hurt you. If anything, Steve-O got off fucking easy with Umaga. If it wasn't national television, he didn't have fucking cameras everywhere, and the threat of a fucking lawsuit, like, if this is Bill Watts' territory, he could have murdered him in the ring, and he would have got a race. Like, that's I thought just... Bill Watts just walked in the room. <laughs> well, pro wrestling's my goddamn religion. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And somebody's going to fucking insult it like that and not treat it with the utmost of fucking respect when we've given you an opportunity to promote your movie and we're going to co-promote, we're going to do good things, and you're going to laugh at somebody? That's how I fucking feel about it. Now, granted, my opinions on professional wrestling are far different than Steve-O's, but no, I saw this live and I was like, good for Umaga. So that's why I want to be as fair as possible <laughs> because uh, this would be the time for you to be that person. And sometimes... <sighs> The person that does this to Steve-O is also the person that tells me, hey, I don't give a fuck about you. I'm going to hurt you. That's just You got to protect the business. I just like to be fair to Steve-O. He admitted he was on a lot of drugs <laughs> at the time. So, I mean, come on. But yeah, anybody listening to this, please go back and watch it. The forearm he hit Steve-O with is fucking MMA caliber heavyweight blast him right in the side of the head there's even a reaction video where pontius and steve-o watch it to give you a little insight and he's kind of like yeah i was kind of on a bunch of drugs and yeah i kind of laughed when i shouldn't have the jackass SummerSlam crossover episode actually would not happen but it wasn't because of this it was because uh mr old uh, canadian redacted guy also got a bit too violent and jackass did not want to be associated 
one match around this time I gotta give a lot of love to that you should check out. Probably, I'd probably say is my second favorite Umaga match. Jeff Hardy versus him at uh, Great American Bash 2007. It's a 12-minute match. It's, it's, it's a great example of just Monster Heel versus a baby face and his comeback and how the crowd i forgot how fucking over jeff hardy yeah. was at a particular time this crowd was fucking molten lava jr is losing his mind there's a near fall with the swanton bomb that i thought the fucking roof was gonna explode it's just they nail every little moment of kind of what you should do in those type of matches and it i can't recommend it enough it is fantastic like jeff hardy when he has chemistry with with people it's it's incredible to see, and him and Umaga just they tore it the fuck down. It's one of those things that you know Jeff's like, "Come on, bring it, man! You can't, and you can't hurt fucking Jeff Hardy." <laughs> right. Like legend with with Jeff that nobody ever fucking talks about is there was a time where I think Jeff got like he got hurt much later in his career, like about maybe about this time or a few years later. Something happened with Jeff; he had to have a surgery, and they're like, "Hey, let's just do a, a full body scan." Which you never want to do on a pro wrestler <laughs> anyway, but you definitely don't want to do that on Jeff Hardy. All right. So when they gave him the full body scan, because that was a bit more prevalent, they found out that Jeff had had a broken back oh, shit. and like at some point in time oh, and like it never got it fixed. He had oh. a broken back and it like healed up, but like he had a broken back and all these things wrong with him. And the people that did the scan were like, how the <laughs> fuck have you been able to walk? all these years there's no way you should be alive right now how many car accidents have you had so there is that urban legend of jeff hardy just being fucking indestructible and i'm sure when umaga was like hey i don't give a fuck about you just like cool. <laughs> i don't either <laughs> <laughs> on uh, july 2nd umaga would get another shot at centino and this time he would abide by the rules hit a samoan spike and win the intercontinental championship for the second time he take that into a jackassless 2007 SummerSlam, taking on Mr. Kennedy and Carlito. Kennedy hits Carlito with a forward roll Samoan drop, which is a cultural appropriation. So Amaga breaks up the pin, spikes him, retains his title. Then another match with Jeff Hardy would be a long, long, long TV match on September 3rd's Raw, where Umaga was on the top and a groggy Jeff gets up enough energy to bounce off the ropes with Amaga on the top turnbuckle. He tumbles down and Jeff gets a quick surprise pin and wins the Intercontinental Championship from Umaga. Then we get to another Vince McMahon feud that Umaga gets sucked into. Vince was beefing with Triple H, mostly because he made fun of Vince for Hornswoggle being his kid, I guess. The same night Umaga lost to Jeff Hardy, Carlito was in the back in the locker room with them. He said that Trips was laughing at him. Vince sets up a handicap match with them. Umaga again is going to not listen to the ref five count. He's going to get DQ'd, but they keep on attacking Triple H. He eventually gets out of it, grabs the sledgehammer, and uh, beats up Umaga with it. Trips and Umaga would take their feud into No Mercy and what would end up being another title shot for Umaga. Earlier that night, Triple H beat Randy Orton for the championship, then later had a match with Umaga, turning it into a title match. During his match, Jerry Lawler's like, has there ever been three champions in one night? And JR says no. Oh. Bret Hart, Yokozuna, Terry fucking Balea, WrestleMania 9. Suck it, Jim Ross. Oh. Anyways, oh. Trips wins with the pedigree. But up, up, but up, up. There's a great bit you really should check out 
leading up to Umaga and Triple H's Cyber Sunday match, it was remember back in the day when you could actually vote on what was going to happen. I don't know if that was shoot or a work. Jake, do you know if that was a shoot or a work with the Cyber Sunday shit? Well, if you listen to Conrad Thompson's podcast, who's listening to this <laughs> podcast, some of it was. And then also, too, like, some of them, like, the options are so clearly, like... You're right. And, and also, too, like, they had, like, pre-voting. Like, obviously, they're coming, like, hey, right now, it's at 60% for this. It's 20% for this and 10. So, obviously, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's going to end up being, like, this one that's, like, 65% right now. And so, it's like, you, they kind of already knew coming in what it was going to be, and then they re- reveal the results. And so, it's, it's all real, but, like, they all knew what it was, and they kind of set it up so like it ended up being this but it's like one of those things like it could go either way either one of these would be a great conclusion to whatever the story or a great addition to the story mm-hmm. so either or of these is fine in the 10 15 2007 raw vince is trying to set up the cyber sunday so they're teasing the three potential matches which is a street fight a first blood match and a steel cage match so for everyone to get a taste so before they vote vince brings out umaga and he brings out a enhancement talent i think he's from the uk called andy simmons who then proceeds to get the living shit beat out of him by umaga he wins and then that's over and then vince is like oh poor kid poor kid and then of course they have to test out the first blood match so vince shoves andy simmons back in there again umaga beats the shit out of one more time and he bleeds i think he had a blood packet in his mouth that's what it looked like to me and then after that vince is like get him out of here he's hurt poor kid poor kid but wait, we have a steel cage match. And then they lower the fucking steel cage and Umaga throws poor, beaten, crippled Andy Simmons back in the ring and literally throws him the fuck into the cage so many times it's painful to watch. It's just a great monster-creating slight murder with this poor enhancement talent dude who I hope got paid a shit ton of money and Vince at his most sadistic best setting up the whole Triple H Umaga match at Cyber Sunday. Jake, do you happen to know Andy Simmons, UK talent, dude? I would tread lightly on anybody from the UK indie scene, my friend. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to check a list that's online uh, and see if he fucking deserved this or not. But yes, I am aware of Andy Simmons. So when you were saying poor kid, poor kid, poor kid, I was like, "Uh, I should have brought my phone in here because there is a fucking list that I should cross reference (laughs) on to see if he is a fucking poor guy. So thank you for triggering me my friend so <laughs> uh, you want to talk about your car a little bit longer too how about that Micah? <laughs> street fight ended up winning um it's a really good it's a really damn good brawl uh triple h spears umaga through the entrance ramp set umaga does the whole running across the commentating booth into a splash putting him through the third table it ends with uh umaga getting his skull crashed in by the sledgehammer and dying nick at a survivor series Umaga's team took on Triple H's team. It's uh, Trips, Jeff Hardy, Rey Mysterio, and Kane going in a man down against Mr. Kennedy, MVP, Finley, and Big Daddy Five. Despite the odds against them, Trips' team's wins. Umaga's the last man standing, though. He gets hit with a dual pedigree swanton combo taking the L. I think that's enough to do it. And then we kind of get into, you know, the puttering out of Umaga's career here. WrestleMania 24, he'd take on Batista in a battle of brand supremacy. Umaga repping Raw, Batista repping SmackDown. And despite almost botching the living hell out of the Batista bomb at the end, Batista gets the, he, he got him up, but man, he almost killed himself in the process. Yeah, he did. I don't know if you know this or not, 
this was actually a battle of guys who beat the fuck out of John Manning. <laughs> Because oh, Batista nice. also gave me a stiff fucking elbow and a pull apart one time. Now, uh. granted, Batista probably had every right to because what happened was a big pull apart. And some people are supposed to go with Cena. Some people went with Batista. I felt safe with Batista as well because I was like normally in any instance I would stick next to John. He was safe. So I went with Batista and I pulled Batista off a pile. And I thought I was pulling Batista off the pile with three other people. Come to find out, I was the only person that pulled Dave Batista away from John Cena. And you can clearly see it on camera. Me, Jake Manning, indie wrestler, being the only person who can stop <laughs> Machine Gun wow. Dave. And Batista thought the same, too. He thought there were three other people that were pulling him apart. And then when Dave realized, what the fuck, this guy fucking pulled me apart? <laughs> I gotta hurt I needed man. three guys to fucking, like, no, fuck this. And he gave me an elbow right at the base of my fucking skull. And ah. it really fucking... Really, it'd be illegal in oh, MMA. God. It w- would have been an illegal, like it was, Jesus, it hurt. crippling it, you. It fucking hurt a lot. I was dizzy. I, I might have had a concussion from it because I almost vomited in the ring. Like it Jesus was like, like, it was really fucking hard. It hurt for like a couple days after too. Here's the difference with old Big Dave. I feel like Big Dave. Dave's cool enough that if I ever met him and I told him this story, because that's my favorite thing to do is like, hey, remember when you were shitty to me? I so feel like. Theory. I feel like Big Dave is cool enough to be like, hey, man, sorry about that. Ten years later, he would tell me I'm sorry. Like, I feel like Dave, he'd probably be wearing a leather jacket, too, and, like, skinny jeans. But I guarantee he would give me, like, at least an I'm sorry. So this was was a battle of who fucked up Jake Manning the most in a pull apart. (laughs) I like Dave on Twitter the most because he does not give a shit about talking as much shit <laughs> Same. about anything. But also, too, uh, here's a key of Dave. Like, if you forget all the results of all his matches, look back in some of it, like in his prime, you can tell when he's jobbing and not. He would always have less spectacular gear. He'd wear all black uh, when he's doing uh. the job. He would also not look into the camera when he makes his entrance. God damn it. Yeah, you could, you could, <laughs> you could fucking see it. I remember one WrestleMania. We were all like, yeah, he's definitely doing the job. <laughs> and, then all of, and we were all waiting. He did his entrance. He didn't look in the camera. And I'm like, yep, yep. he's fucking losing. Yep. And sure as shit, he did. That's what happened. <laughs> what a bunch of shit. So on uh, June 23rd, 2008, Umaga got drafted over to SmackDown, but unfortunately he would tear his PCL at a live event in Johnson City, Tennessee that August, which brutal injury for any sport, double brutal when you're 300 pounds. Triple brutal when you're doing that in Johnson City, (laughs) Tennessee. He got a couple promos hyping up his return for January 30th, 09. Back to SmackDown. New entrance theme. He beat up Jimmy Wang Yang in a short match. And then Scotty Goldman would lose a uh, a squash match to the Samoan Bulldozer February 20th, 09. You can find that online. If you don't know, that is old Colt Cabana, which he uh, he actually wrestled um, Umaga's first ever TV match under the very scintillating name Chris Guy. <laughs> Maga would take uh, some more time off TV, a couple months. I'm not sure if he was hurt. Maybe that PCL was bothering him, but he would come back for his last WWE feud with Mr. CM Punk. He would stop Punk's attempts to cash in his money in the bank briefcase, and that would lead to a match at 2009's Judgment Day in Rosemont, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. So Punk is obviously going to lose because that is Vince's favorite thing for some reason, (laughs) to make guys lose in their hometown. Following this, Umaga would attack Punk with a strap, which led to their rematch June 7th, 09, Extreme Rules in a Samoan strap match. 
And this would end up being Umaga's last WWE match. The highlights, definitely the finish. Punk hits the go to sleep right into the fourth turnbuckle slap. I kind of marked out on that. It's really cool little finish sequence. Uh, yes. And uh, later that night, Punk would cash in on Jeff Hardy to win the big gold belt. Very next day, January 8th, 2009, Mr. Fatu was future endeavored, released from his contract as a result of a violation of the wellness policy. And even though this was only his second mistake, he felt to go to rehab. Yeah, he just flat out refused to go. I was like, whoa, okay, that's one way to fucking yeah. just not have a job. After getting released from the company, he'd do a little run in Puerto Rico. And then he would do a uh, a tour with Hulk Hogan in Australia into December 2009. And on December 4th, 2009, Fatu was found by his wife in their home. Unresponsive, blood was coming out his nose. They called 911, ambulance came, but he suffered a heart attack and Umaga was gone at just 36 years old. Yeah, I think it needs to be said the heart attack was induced by they found Vicodin, Somas, and Valium. So kind of a wrestler cocktail of shit you'd expect. Same old story. So final thoughts on the big guy, Umaga. I think right off the bat, I'm just going to tell you two more Jeff Hardy matches to watch. Because like Jake said, they worked really well together. Be sure to watch the One Night Stand Falls Count Anywhere match. Umaga no-sells a construction barrel thrown into his face. That's a cool moment. And then... uh. Be sure to watch the steel cage match the two of them had on Raw. That's fucking great. Jeff Hardy does whisper in the wind off the top of the cage, and Umaga catches him pretty good. I literally freaked out when Hardy did it. It's a pretty amazing spot. I think the one thing I enjoyed the most about Umaga was just his, for a big monster dude, his offense was really cool and really looked impactful. Man, the, the trio woe headbutt, and then that spin spinning uh sidewalk slam he would do when he would get little dudes with that like punk uh jeff hardy would whip around he does it on Rey mysterio and Rey mysterio almost like goes around the entire planet his big monster moves were fucking fantastic and he knew how to execute them he knew how to be that samoan bulldozer i've watched god i can't i've probably watched too many umaga matches for the research but of all the finishers i don't think anyone ever kicked out of the samoan spike as stupid as that kind of is compared to his other offense, they put the Samoan spike over like it was fucking Jake the Snake Roberts DDT times a million. Someone please correct me. I, I might have missed one, but I don't know. I don't think a single person ever kicked out of the Samoan spike. They might have dodged it or parried it or whatever, but if he hit it on you, you were dead. I would recommend that other Hardy match big time, the one at Great American Bash, because it, it's just, they nail every little beat of that match, and it feels organic and fun, and I just don't know what else to say about him, except he was a good damn monster who I don't remember being as good as he was. Obviously, The Rock is the most famous and arguably the best in-ring performer out of the uh, Anawahi family but man Umaga is up there too like you can really tell that he's like Yokozuna's cousin as far as just this big monster who can somehow still move like a feather I mean Umaga was like great in the ring man apparently a little too stiff at times between that and and the Jake story and both of the reasons he got fired from the company seems like a bit of a hothead throw Steve-O in the mix but I don't know, kind of comes with a territory or big monster badass. Maybe that leaks over into your real life. 
there aren't any like shoots or anything with him, so no clue how he was. It's just like a dude. He was definitely cut from that old eighties cloth, you know, trained by his uncles. I'm sure it was beat into him. Protect the business, be a badass, protect your gimmick. But I mean, he had a crazy career. WrestleMania moments that run in all Japan again just moved like a fucking butterfly in the ring and it sucks that the pro wrestling pill curse snuck up on him and got him because I think he had a lot more to give I'm going to kind of echo some of the things uh, that Nick said you know I said said my piece earlier but yeah you know MAGA um, he would have fit in perfectly in the 80s and if he was in that time period like a lot of these stories of him being too stiff or having issues or people feeling this way about him wouldn't exist like how many people know that Buzz Sawyer was one of the biggest assholes of all time or even like Dr. Death has a reputation of being kind of stiff like you talk to old timers like like Steamboat will be like, oh, I remember when Dr. Death, like he was way too stiff. And a lot of those guys that were wrestling for Crockett when they bought UWF, they always had like horror stories of wrestling Dr. Death. But you listen to anybody talk about Dr. Death now, it's nothing but, you know, praise and love and, and all that. And also, too, like I said, with the MAGA, like he'd have a match with someone like John and be like, bring it. You know, I probably said the same thing to Jeff Hardy. You know, they're, they're guys that will speak very, very fondly of him and rightfully so. It's just, I unfortunately am not one of those people, but it's my job to be fair on here. So I will, I kind of saved the story for kind of the end. So I'm going to be as fair as possible on here. And maybe this story kind of paints the best picture of him. Um, I, I remember like maybe this might've been a few months, maybe even weeks before he passed away. I was at a baseball card convention promoting wrestle reunion and they they had other wrestlers there and I was just supposed to pass out flyers, get some buzz about the event. Cause some of these trading card people travel across the country and they had like a shit ton of wrestlers. They had like the nasty boys. They had Christopher Nowinski, Lance Storm, Rick Steiner was there and he had a table next to me and like, there's just all kinds of wrestling guys there. And then they had Umaga in and this one guy was bringing in all of the wrestlers. I think Umaga was supposed to be there both days, but he decided not to show up the first day. I can't remember if that was a case or not, but I do remember the, the second day of the convention. He was definitely supposed to be there and he showed up late. He showed up with an entourage. He was barely at his table. If I was a guy who, spent money and brought him in I would have been irate because it was and I heard that he was super expensive hard to deal with just it was just frustrating if I was the promoter that brought him in to make any type of money off of him especially those trading card shows you basically have to sit there for six hours and people will wander their way over to you it's not like hey this is person's here between two and two and they're a highlight event and go to them you just have to sit there for a long period of time it's a long grinding thing you can make your money but it is a grinding thing and he just wasn't willing to put up with that or do any of that. So, and there was always people asking, like, "Is Mog at his table?" I'm like, "I don't know." I like, and there were people like looking for him, wanted to get stuff signed by him, and just wasn't there, and just kind of was blowing the whole thing off. And then, of course, everything was shut down. I was packing up, I was getting ready to leave, and I was loading stuff up, and I and I saw Maga walking out. It was like first time I'd seen him since like he'd been at the table for like 15 minutes or whatever. So he basically blew the whole thing off, and this little kid ran up to Umaga and he was dressed like Umaga and he just wanted to meet Umaga and he probably been waiting all day to fucking find him and get to him and this little kid he had the whole like face paint stuff he had the shirt off 
wanted to beat Umaga so badly. And like he'd been waiting all day, and Umaga just kind of blew the whole thing off. And that kid finally ran over to Umaga's, and Umaga's basically leaving with money in his pocket. And when this little kid ran up dressed like him, Umaga stopped and gave him all the time in the world, took pictures with him, autographed, and made that kid feel like a million bucks. So it was inside of him. It was possible. He took the time to give that kid a special memory that was going to last his entire life like that that generosity that caring was in inside of him and i wish eddie was around a little bit longer to pull it all together and then give that generosity to the rest of the world and show that that side of him because it was inside of him i think that's the bigger tragedy of all this and it is a tragedy that he's no longer with us because it's way too young he should have been back in WWE two or three other times and maybe even AEW by now or wherever else. But he definitely, there was there was far more upside to him. There was far more career to him. But I also feel that there was more life to him that he didn't display to the rest of the world. All right. That is underrated big man. Umaga's 10 Bell Pod. Thank you guys for listening. Let's see. What do we got? Please check us out on patreon.com slash 10 Bell Pod. We got some bonus episodes back catalog there you can check out you can also just throw a dollar our way to say thanks we will appreciate it find us on the social medias timbellpot.com do you guys got anything jake you need to plug your show again yes black label pro august 22nd iwtv check it out they have two shows i believe this saturday when this podcast comes out so if you listen to this in a timely fashion media as they drop you can see it. You can stream it. IWTV. Um, I know I should be plugging High Spots Network, but uh, I'm wrestling on IWTV right now until I'm wrestling on something that's going to be on the High Spots Wrestling Network. Uh, virtual gimmick tables, as always, on the High Spots Facebook and the High Spots YouTube, because you can only buy items via the Facebook Live feed. So, virtual gimmick table. Make sure you check it out. Leave us a rating and review, please. Please watch Selling In for the love of God. Jake's episode just came out. Fight the patriarchy. Bye. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Man Scout, Jake Manning. Thank you very much for listening to 10 Bell Pod. I can't thank you guys enough for being subscribers and people who leave reviews, but also, too, big, big thank you to people who are our patrons on Patreon. Now, some of you may be hearing that like, wait a minute, I'm not a, a patron on a Patreon for you guys. And you might be like, hey, I want to do that. I want it. And I want an extra thank you. I left a review. I subscribe, but I want an extra thank you from the Man Scout Jake Manning because that third thank you doesn't apply to you unless you are a patron on our Patreon page. Make sure you check it out at patreon.com slash 10 bell pod.